Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we are joined with Michael Johnson Performance's Lance Walker. Lance is going to sit down and talk with us, guys, about everything that's happening down there at MJP in Dallas. Uh, we then get into the, you know, the role of PT that they have down there and how he sees physical therapy and physios working in to the, the speed team or the performance team uh, that they have down there at Michael Johnson Performance. And more so where he sees it fitting into the grand scheme of things on a broader spectrum in the whole high-performance strength and conditioning world. We get into uh, talking about corrective exercise and issues that may or may not arise from issues that may or may not be there in the athletes to begin with. Looking at norms, whether it be on the gen pop or we're talking about high-level athletes and how that could be really different and, and a cause for concern for some of us. And then we really get into, guys, education and, and kind of stand in your lane, talking about, you know, what... Doing what you know and knowing what you do, but being flexible enough and willing enough to learn from other people that are in your performance team in order to do what's best for the athletes that you're working with. Uh, all the while, kind of checking your ego at the door and building upon what you know and the others know without overstepping your boundaries. Lance is an absolute rock star. This was absolutely killer, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Lance, thanks for being on with us today. Hey, thanks, Jay. Looking forward to this. Yeah, so let's start out with a little rundown of everything that you guys got going on there at, uh, at Michael Johnson's. Oh, man, this is, this is 10 years for us, believe it or not, Jay. This, is, um, this has been a, a dream of Michael's uh, since he retired from, from athletics. Uh, he's a local Dallas guy. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. They always ask, why are you in Dallas? Um, Dallas, was, Dallas was home for Michael. Um, and, and now he's, he's sort of the dream of this whole thing was to, was to get back to, uh, to providing athletes their best opportunity to realize their full potential. And that's been his dream. And it sounds kind of cliche. And I used to, I used to think mission statements were kind of stupid and kind of cliche. And, you know, you just, you're supposed to have a mission statement. Uh, but that's truly been the mission, uh, since day one, 10 years ago now. And, um, and now what's happened is, is, you know, he set this up thinking we're going to help athletes realize their full potential right here in, in the 75070 zip code here. And um, what's happened over 10 years has been really interesting is, is we've, had, we've had great success here locally, but we've, we've grown into this sort of this global company as well, which I, I never expected. Um, but Michael is a global icon. His ability to reach out around the globe and, and share that same mission and that mission resonate with so many different people of so many different uh, countries, so many different competitive levels, sport. Um, and so what's happened is, is it's turned into this global entity that that uh, that's sort of hubs out of MJP Texas here in in McKinney. Um, and we've got over 
we got over 40 employees now. We started out with three. Um, so it's starting that sort of that, that crescendo in terms of staffing and, and the ability to, to reach out globally requires a lot more travel. So we've got, I've got specialists in Eastern Europe right now. I've got specialists in South America. I'll be sending more specialists to China. Um, myself and Michael travel around the, the world, uh, setting these, these things in motion. And, and he and I will be leaving next week to head down to the Caribbean, uh, to spend some time with some Olympic committees down there. Uh, so it's, it's really, it all, it's. You ask, what are we doing right now? I mean, my gosh, there's so many things that we're doing, but it all pulls back to that same mission statement. And it's any athlete, any level, any sport, do you want to get better? Do you, do you want to realize your full potential? And that's truly what we're doing here day in and day out. As I watch out the window here, uh, a nine-year-old just walked up. He's going to go in and take part in a speed camp this morning. Right behind him was a first round, potential first round NFL draft choice. And he's coming in, getting ready for the NFL combine. Now they're not working out in the same groups, uh, but believe it or not, everybody in this building looks at those two exactly the same way. They both want to realize their full potential. And when they're in this building, they're really the same. <laughs> they, they really are the same when you boil it all down. They're after the same things. They just want to, they want to be version 2.0 when they walk out today. And that's our responsibility, that's our charge. No, and that's absolutely awesome. And I think that, you know, anybody can take that directly into their own weight room is that it, it doesn't matter who it is, it's it's what it is and building yeah. that from there. Now something yeah. that you guys do that's that's pretty unique is is how you incorporate your PT work into the speed training. And obviously I'm Michael's he was okay at running fast. So it's I'm I'm real interested to hear how you guys incorporate all of that down there in Dallas. Yeah, it's a, it's a that word sort of sports medicine. Um, I'm kind of tired of that word, guys. I, I I'm, uh, and I'm probably going to upset some of your your viewership, and and I'm sorry. I'm that I'm that weird guy that that decided to go to physical therapy school and become a physiotherapist after I was a coach. So I was already a coach in the collegiate ranks for a while, and my my mentor and 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 my boss Joe Jurassic at the University of Oklahoma said. Uh, said, look, you're always, you're, you're always asking us questions about why we have to send guys to the, to the training room uh, and away from the strength coach for a period of time, and then those guys end up coming back, and we're not really sure what they're ready to do, what they can do. What was, you know, who are you keep sending those people to? Well, we send them to physical therapists. And I said, I, I need to kind of know, I need to know what that world's about, because it seems to me there may, be, there may be an opportunity, an area of opportunity to, to explore even greater potential there. On the one hand, on the other hand, I was frustrated because in a lot of cases they'd come back from very well-meaning physical therapists and not ready for the demands of what we were going to ask them to do. And it wasn't because the therapist wasn't doing a great job what they were doing, or that we weren't doing a good job of, of sort of meshing up with where they were. There was just a there was a gray space there. There was a you know some of the the old school therapists uh, uh, Gary Gray used to call it gaposis, where there was this there's this big drop off between the the PT world. Uh, and and, the, and the, the performance world, and it, it probably goes back to that old dichotomy that we used to think of. You either you either healthy or or sick, right? And and uh, and that frustrated me as a practitioner. It frustrated me as an athlete because I fell into that as well. So a lot of great therapists out there became therapists because they were athletes themselves that were injured a lot. And uh, so so my background at at, the, at uh, Kansas State University, people ask me what position did you play? I played injured. Um, all the time I was injured and, and after four different surgeries and, and all the mess I went through, I lived that gaposis 
And it wasn't because I didn't have great therapy or a great strength coach. Had two of the best in the world on those ends of the spectrum. The fusion of those two things left me hanging. And and I think it left some other athletes hanging in terms of realizing potential too. So fast forward to to MJP Texas and what what Michael and I uh, determined with my background as a coach, as a physio, his background as an athlete that didn't break any world records, didn't win any gold medals uh, until he started to integrate the physical therapy and the strength conditioning into his his practice, his training. And he was a guy that did not like to, I mean, I say this, I'll keep it a secret. You guys that are listening, keep it a secret. He hated lifting weights, um, but he never stayed healthy and, and, and never broke records until he incorporated a strength conditioning program. Guess who told him to do that? It wasn't Clyde Hart. You know, Clyde Hart, his strength development is on the track. I mean, those are those lactic system, you know, 450s and repeat 220s. That's his strength work. So for him, the recommendation uh, to, to work into the weight room came from his physical therapist. And that was a, that's, that's a great example of, wow, that's a great intention of a, a physical therapist that knows the relationship of strength development to injury prevention and in some cases injury uh, recovery. Um, and so that, that started this cycle for Michael to incorporate things like strength conditioning, his physical therapy, pulling all those pieces together in a truly integrated, integrated fashion. And that's the dream for us here is to integrate those specialties. The best, of, the best in practice is great, but you've got to be able to overlap. You've got to be able to really find those fusion points instead of just butting them up side by side. They've got to actually sort of intermingle. Um, and that makes a nice, a nice fusion and amalgamation where an athlete comes in the facility now, they really aren't sure where they are. Are they, Am I in physical therapy right now or am I in training? There's a, it's, a, it's really a gray space right now when they're in the facility. Everybody's here pulling the wagon in the same direction, whether it's the physio back there doing some, some tissue work right now to prepare an athlete for what they're going to do from a speed training standpoint today, or it's the bobsled athlete that just walked out that just got some recovery work with our physios. Uh, there's really it's it's hard to tell where physio starts and stops as an integrated piece to the to the model, uh, and that deals specifically with with some speed training. I know you you want to talk about speed training, and it's it's um, that's one certainly that we see the athletes continually coming to us for is they want to get faster, and and that that's a great thing. Uh, the challenge for us is the strength and conditioning community is doing a fantastic job in 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 speed and strength training. They're they're doing great work man, they come to us, they want even more. So they've got, they've gotten, I mean, they've got this great strength coach at, uh, over here that's done a great job and they've done all the great plyometrics and conjugated periodized schemes and all these great, I mean, they've really cleaned off all the low hanging fruit. When they come in here, uh, a lot of cases, they're still looking for that extra 10th or that extra 0.01 or uh, that improved consistency in their, in their start or their top end, their fly time. Where are we going to find that? And one of the key places we find it is still in that integrated piece of the physical therapy model. And it's truly a, a sports medicine approach where it's, it's pulling back away from just the physical therapy proper that we've taught in school and beginning to integrate some of the other modalities and, and things that we, that we may see that works with one population that doesn't work with another. It may be research-based. It may not be. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's ethical and if it's efficient and it's effective, we're going to integrate that into the into the practice. And so a great example, I guess, for the for the viewership is is an athlete I just saw walk by uh, is a USA bobsled athlete. 
And coming to us, working on acceleration is, is a big deal for that athlete. And one of the first integration spots for this athlete was to go back through in a, in a, in a deep dig assessment. And we look very, very deeply, uh, sort, of, sort of three levels. And the initial level is the structural level, where we look at that athlete not as a bobsledder, uh, but as a, as a male 28-year-old athlete. And, and that starts from the ground up for us. And it starts with a physiotherapist. And it starts with a true joint-by-joint joint approach to really structurally identifying how this athlete is set up. And we truly understand, I think, as, as a viewership, you probably get this too, that we're, we've been in this sort of this pendulum swing of, of all function, function, function. Structure can drive function. <laughs> And function can drive structure. I mean, we, we see that as a coach. It, 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 it's not like just one or the other thing. You, you train structure and function. It's hard to differentiate the two. It's kind of like saying all we train is movements and not muscles. Well, you can't train a movement without training a muscle. It's hard to, it's hard to distinguish. So we really take a look first with the physio integration structurally, joint by joint up the chain. Um, everything from joint integrity to Obviously, past medical history is going to be one of the big ones that we're going to tease out. We're going to wormhole that past medical history all the way up and down the chain to the joint above, the joint system below. But then we're also going to take a bottom-up approach through the whole system, whether there was an injury history there or not. We're going to look everything from first ray all the way up to the cervical spine and everything in between to see if we can tease out any areas of potential opportunity for improvement. And the, and the big challenge for that, uh, Jay, and, and I'm sure some of the physios that listen to this podcast will agree with me, is the physio space, uh, we've been trained on what normal is. Nobody here is normal. <laughs> there's, there's, no such, there's no such thing as normal. Uh, it's, there's so much variability, and especially with athletes. And so a, a great example, another example that walked by was an elite marathon runner that came in this morning. And we lay her down. Uh, on a something called a modified Thomas test that you're all familiar with. You know, you, you're trying to check out and see if their iliopsoas is, is restricted, right? So you lay them on a table as the old physio would do. And they, you know, you let one leg dangle down and you push the other hip into flexion. And you're looking to see if that thigh is parallel to the ground and if the knee is dangling vertically at 90 degrees. And that's supposed to be a good, a good thing. Not for an elite marathon runner. That could be a death sentence. For an elite marathon runner, for them to have a positive or a, or a bad Thomas test physiotherapy wise could be the very thing that helps them in their economy and efficiency of running. And so what that's it, it's a strange it's a strange thing. And, and it, it goes back to the concept, I think, of, of making sure that we're, we're integrating with the, the athletes and meeting them where they are, but also understanding that some of the weirdness, the intricacies, the, the idiosyncrasies that that we used to think of as physical therapy as aberrant, maybe the very thing that's making them special. And I think that's where this integration piece on those two examples right there, one is pretty straightforward. The bobsled athlete comes in, they've got a restricted subtalar glide, they've got some sort of tallow curl glide that's gonna restrict their dorsiflexion at that initial push. Man, we're gonna integrate spot work right on top of that with the physio work to make sure that we're adding some of that glide back there mechanically. And then we're gonna feed that with some corrective exercise. And then we're gonna integrate that with what the specialists are doing out on the training floor. We're gonna get them independent with some of that on the training floor. But on the other side, the marathon runner, are we gonna correct that Thomas test? Are we gonna do myofascial release and soft, all this great Graston work and all this contract relax and yank her uh, Thomas test down to, to good, to normal? 
Only if probably if it's an asymmetry. If she's a runner, maybe we just want to get it symmetrical. And maybe instead of pulling her Thomas test down to normal, we want to jack the other one up. I mean, think about the <laughs> it's very it's very compelling. It's also very frustrating. And as 25 years of doing this every day, I, I learned that I have no idea what I'm doing. But that's that's one of those that's one of those areas where I think the physiotherapy here integrated is very open minded is, hey, look, we don't know that a normal Thomas test in that example of that marathon runner is necessarily a good thing for a marathon runner. And so we're, we're kind of stumbling around in a lot of these cases, figuring out, do we want to make it normal or do we want to make it symmetrically abnormal to fit that population? And so those are two examples of the obvious physical therapy integration, joint mobilization, make sure that they're, they're trained up when they go out there, they come back, restore that that motion, re-educate that. Mo oh, yeah. I mean, heck, all your, your PTs and your strength coaches know that. But the, the head scratcher is the one, man, are some of those are some of those weirdnesses that we see are we getting in the way as therapists? We're trying to make them normal. And by making them normal, we pull them away from abnormal. And it's the abnormality that's actually giving them some of their chance to be the best versions of themselves with their sport. That's an absolutely fantastic line. <laughs> because, yet, yeah, like if you were, I'm sure, to evaluate LeBron James, I'm sure there are some things that would show up in the general population as a red flag. Uh, but he's pretty good at basketball. So yeah. you probably don't want to screw him up too much. <laughs> That's right. Now, piggybacking on this, because I, I think this is fascinating. Do you guys have sport-specific norms in tests that vary throughout? So like your combine guys, let's talk about like linemen versus receivers versus the middle guys, or you know the young kids who are just really figuring out how to skip versus your bobsled athletes who are Olympians and things like that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, some of that's probably pretty commonsensical. If it's a baseball player and they're a pitcher, there's going to be some. There's going to be some variations to the to the shoulder rotation and some of that. That's pretty obvious. I mean, that's commonsensical. And it's. I mean, it's it's pretty common knowledge now that a lot of that goes on. Uh, different sports, like in, in terms of uh, ice hockey, there's some. There's some things we're finding out with our work with the Dallas Stars and some other elite ice hockey uh, athletes that their hip flexion uh, on a, something as simple as an active straight leg race test blow your mind. I mean, it's ridiculous what they're able to do on an active straight leg test, race test. And, and is that hypermobile? Uh, because it's a, if it was on a scale of zero to three, it'd be a five. You know, it's ridiculous what these guys can do in a lot of cases. And, and we start to see that is there some correlation between their effectiveness on the ice um, not staying healthy, but just their effectiveness on the ice from a speed and, and et cetera standpoint that can equate back to some of those tests that look really strange, that look really uh, population specific. So we are seeing those. I don't have the specific grid to give you. Here's the grid. If you're an offensive lineman, your dorsiflexion should be there. But we are definitely uh, collecting that information. And that's something that, that Michael has mandated from day one is data is a piece is a voice of the athlete that we've got to listen to and we've got to collect it and it's we got to collect it in a way that the, the athletes don't feel like they're, they're lab rats um, we've got to collect it in a way that 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 impacts that is actionable for the athlete and so we've been doing that for for for, for many years i've been doing it for 10 years here where we evaluate every athlete from the nine-year-old the nine-year-old that just walked in they're going to get on the force place today as part of their training 
I mean, who's doing force plate testing on nine-year-olds? What a waste of time, right? Well, it may be a waste of time today, but we're going to have data on nine-year-old. Every nine-year-old that comes in here, we're going to have data on their broad jump, on their hop and stop test, on their vertical jump, on a cut test. Jay, I don't know what to do with it today, but I'm going to also be getting joint motion on those kids. I'm going to be getting anthropometrics on those kids. I'm going to be testing their 10-yard acceleration, their 10-meter fly. I'm going to have that data to be able to begin to correlate back into what is a, what's a fast nine-year-old? What should they have in terms of range at the ankle as well as ability to produce force on the force plate that correlates back with, with some 10 and, and some 10-yard fly stuff? And that's all we've been doing for 10 years and the, and the 15 years before that, we collected data on all the, all the athletes that we worked with in the NFL from, from the Cowboys experience all the way back to my high school experience in, in, in the NCAA. So I think data collection is a big piece of what you're talking about. And it's, it's in a way that's actionable. It's in a way that's in monitoring. So instead of just saying, okay, like, right, we're going to test. Everybody come together. We're going to test. We don't do as much of that anymore. We're actually monitoring the, we're using the tools to monitor the training. So in the example the, the physio, the, the, the range of motion tests, we're incorporating technology to, to test hip range of motion. So the bobsledder example that, you know, he went back to our, our lounge back there and hooked on a pod and did some active straight leg raise test. And the marathon runner laid on the table and did a modified Thomas test with some technology as a monitoring tool all along the way. And so we may, be get, we may get three data grabs over a three week period of time on that metric for those two athletes. We'll be able to track that over time and, and ultimately maybe come up with some of these correlative sort of relationships between performance and some of these measurables uh, of, of sport. So a long-winded way of saying, yeah, we're seeing some trends. I'll probably be dead and gone before we have the, the matrix set up where it's exactly like this. And again, the variability, you throw that in there and all of a sudden you're like, well, wow, it depends. Um, but I, I absolutely think that, that we're finding we're finding some of those across different sports, not just the baseball shoulder thing that we we've known for years but things like marathoners things like uh, elite sprinters the um things like we talked about with some, some of the specific youth related uh, aspects as well so it's it's coming it's just not quite it's not quite fleshed out yet oh 100 percent. and again the other thing you'd have to incorporate in there in that evaluation is anthropometrics which would be even harder to connect yeah. and correlate because i mean the fastest man on the planet right now a lot of people would say probably shouldn't be that fast yeah you know yeah so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting on that one is, a, is that whole re that reciprocal ponderal index of Usain Bolt that's throwing everybody for a loop. Like, my gosh, you know, how are we ever going to get athletes to that sort of a reciprocal ponderal index, even if that's a number? Is that a number we should follow? Is that a does that mean anything to have a 45 on an RPI? I don't know. It's so easy to track, though. I mean, it's a it's a data point that takes you about 26 seconds once every three weeks to monitor. Why not grab that data if you can put it inside of your training session where the athlete don't they don't know any they don't they don't feel like they're detracting from their training. It's a data grab. But now I've got that for the 5000 plus athletes, speed athletes that we've been training. Is that going to be a, a factor that we should pay attention to when it comes to, hey, strength coach, how much weight should you put on this athlete? Well, gosh, I want him to be bigger and stronger. And OK, hold on a minute. <laughs> Some of this data may be supporting that his limit based on his height right now, his limit of weight is here. <laughs> Don't, please, strength coach, make him stronger. And now we know we can make people stronger without cross-sectional area increases, right? Let's leverage that. We don't have to be bigger. His, his, if that ponderal index is something we decide is, is impactful, here's the limit of his weight gain, coach. 
he cannot weigh more than 195 pounds, period, okay? Even if you tell me he can be stronger at 198 pounds, it's not worth it. You know what I mean? There's this, he's heavy, as heavy as he's going to get. Now, give me more output. Give me more rate of force development and, and T-pop and some of that stuff out of the 195 that he's got. Don't add one more kilogram to this guy because the return on investment, that cost benefit starts to sway the other way. Even if you could say, oh, he's going to get 10% stronger by giving three more kilos, not worth it. And so I think the data is going to help us begin to sort of tease that out as to what is that optimum body weight for anthropometrics based on what he's producing out on the track in terms of speed, relating that back to what he can produce from a force production standpoint. So that it's going to be some really interesting, uh, interesting correlations there. We're starting to do a little bit of that. But to your point, anthropometrics, without without looking at some of that basic data that in some cases we oh, body weight, height, you know, seated height, limb lengths, ah, it's not important. It's easy to get that data. Go ahead and grab it. You know, it's, it's simple. Get a hold of it. And until we know, we don't know. Oh, yeah. And it, I think it's probably in more sports than less, a lot more important than we give it credit for. I think you're right. I think you're right. And with the speed athlete, I mean, obviously speed is important to us. We're seeing, we're seeing that a lot. We're seeing athletes that may be – I hate to say it. Strength coaches are going to throw stuff at me. They're strong enough. They're big enough. Let's take that strength and 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 let's let's ride that wave a little bit. We see that a lot with with uh, some of the the NFL Combine athletes that come in from some tremendous programs to prepare them for the NFL Combine. We may need to we may need to ride that that force velocity curve a little bit differently for different athletes. And in some cases, we may have to pull some weight down on guys uh, to get them to where they need to be on their on their speed numbers. Um, in most cases, it's it's it starts with assessment. You've really got to understand the athletes. And, and I think that uh, if we skip that step, that that evaluation step, and if you skip that step because you don't have enough data to support your your findings and you're just evaluating to evaluate, yeah, I mean, that's it becomes a little bit of a scary deal for us as in the field. So making sure, I think, for us that as they come in, we're evaluating them, we're looking for actionable data, the data that's not actionable right now, it's got to be minimum in terms of a time ask for us, for the athlete, but we're going to hold on to that data. We're going to keep that data to be able to mine through that later. It's very interesting, Jay. Some of the data that we collected on our first year's combine class, we're actually just now correlating some of those measurements back with some of the, the lab measurements that we're getting now. And, and I'm spoiled, Jay. I mean, I'm absolutely spoiled. I've got a Nike science and research lab in my facility. I mean, come on. Who has that? I mean, that's stupid, all right? I'm in the utopia here. I've got two full-time biomechanist researchers from Nike here every day. I've got a 3D motion capture array, 27 Raptor cameras, high-speed rail video system, 20 meters of instrumented OptiJump, six force plates. I mean, come on. I have no excuse, right? I have no excuse not to be able to extract some of this data, track it, begin to try to correlate that back. What Nike's doing here with that, they're trying to make the next best training shoe or that shirt that you've got on. How's that shirt going to help you run faster, jump higher, et cetera, stay cooler? So for them, that's what's the data is important for them. So they're looking at the athletes the way we are too, only they're looking at the data in a different way. The data is still important. That force plate data that, that that kid throws down on the track today, he doesn't even know he's going over a force plate. He's just running sprints. The force plate data goes back to Nike and helps them create the better shoe for that nine-year-old. What's it do for me? It helps me create better training. And the data, it's embarrassing, Jay. I go back, I go back and look at what I did 10 years ago in our combine training, and I and shame on me. 
shame on me. Some of the things that I thought as sacred cows, from physio to, to sprint mechanics to start techniques, I thought I was doing the best by my athlete. If I could rewind the clocks based on some of that data, I'd do it very, very differently. And so we've actually changed things for the last two years combine based on 10-year-old data that we're now correlating back to the things that we're trying now that's working better. And you wouldn't see it to the naked eye. In some cases during training, you wouldn't even see it on the stopwatch. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to you have to see it and deeper, deeper things, and those things start to sort of add up. Uh, everybody's moving the big rocks these days. It seems like everybody's, you know, gosh, the internet and you, you, you have access to all the best stuff in the world. You, you get on your keyboard and get all that. So now even more important for us is moving those big rocks more efficiently, but then also those little rocks. And there's a lot of little rocks, I think, that are kind of getting in the way or slowing down the movement of some of those big rocks and some of the data and, and assessments and things that we're doing now uh, are really, are really making that even more efficient for us to move the big rocks and there's two or three things that I, I got to be honest with you. We're doing absolutely dead wrong right now in the, in the speed training uh, uh, world. And my friends at Nike have forced me to cry in my beer at night many, many times when they because they, they have a very objective look at. It. They're like, Coach, why are you doing this? Well, <laughs> uh, I, 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 it's a great question. I, I've been doing that for 20 years. That's what everybody does. And they're like, OK, well, you know, when you do this, it's doing that. Oh, geez, really? Man, that's painful. And it hurts. It hurts us. It hurts our ego. It hurts our pride. And I go home and I cry. Or first I throw pencils and and dumbbells and everything I can at those guys because I, I try to claim that they're wrong. And it's and it, it pisses me off um, when when a data set come, comes back and says, hey, hey, look, uh, Lance, I, I know you your physios gave this athlete uh, 10 degrees more hip extension. Uh, with that great Graston work and, and soft tissue work and needling and cut, hey, joint mobe, great job. Um, uh, j- you might want to know that they're now, you know, 0.1 seconds slower in their in their fly time. Uh, how do you, you know, is that what you were after with that that treatment? And that's where you want to pick up. A, you know, first you want to you want to accuse them of something, and then you start looking back at yourself and you start scratching your head and go, why did I just give that athlete? 10 degrees more hip extension or more hip flexion with all this great physiotherapy and it made them slower. Why would I, why would I do that to anybody? I, I, because I'm, I'm trying to be a good physio. I'm trying to, to do what I was trained to do. Am I doing harm? I might be, you know, I might be doing harm. And that's part of our, our code as physios is do no harm. I just made the athlete slower today with what I did. I can't, that's doing harm. All right. I mean, oh, but you're going to save their hip joint capsule from long term, you know, what? hey, this athlete wants to run fast today. What do I need to do to do that? And and I think that's where that third party comes in. And it's frustrating. It's it's good. It's a it's an ego check for us. Uh, but it's helping to redefine, I think, a lot of the ways that we integrate the physio back full circle to the physio side of things. How do we integrate physio to optimize the performance of the athlete on the short term as well as keep them healthy on the long term and and. And hey, as, as you guys know, and I've heard a lot of your, your podcast uh, as well would talk about, we're doing a horrible job on injury prevention. I, I want somebody to raise their hand and say, how show us how we're preventing injuries from the physio space. I'm going to wag my finger at us all because we're not. I mean, let's face it. We, we can't even cure the common hamstring strain for crying out loud. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right, that we still have to say that we still have athletes. The hamstring strain ratios are still going up in the EPL. They got some of the best physios in the world over there. 
how come those strain ratios keep going up if we're doing such a good job of prevention? ACL rates continue to, I mean, come on, guys. Let's, at some point, we got to look in the mirror and say, do we really know what we're doing? <laughs> do we really know? And I think, again, I think as a physio, we do great work, we do unbelievable work in our, in our zone, which is treating, rehabbing, bringing people back from injury. That's what we were trained to do. The strength conditioning community, we were trained to optimize performance, bring out the best, realize the full athletic potential of our athletes. Is there still a gray area there? Was the strength conditioning world trained in injury prevention? Not, not from my training background, maybe it's changed. Was the physiotherapist, were we trained in injury prevention? We took a couple of classes there. <laughs> It seems like we still have a gray space there. And I think that's the, the wonderful spot on, on the physio side of things from a strength coach, physio background versus a physio to strength coach background that I sit in a weird space where I can, I feel like I can play pretty well in that space. And even I feel like at times that, that we've, we've got a long, long way to go. And, and I think that uh, from, a, from a speed training standpoint and optimization standpoint, I think we've, we've, we've seen all these great trappings of how physiotherapy integrated into the, to the programming can help. In some cases, in my case, I'm looking at things that I may be getting in the way of my athletes. I may actually be trying to help them and actually slowing them down from a speed standpoint. But I think there's a huge gap still there to fill in. It's going to take both. It's going to take the strength conditioning community to pull into there. It's going to take the physio community to pull into that space. It's also going to take the applied sports science community, that, that data collection, to pull into that space. It's even going to take some PhDs to come in and help us understand what is artifact, what is significance, what is, what, what do we, how do we make sense of that data. It's going to help have all four of us pull into that space. And before we can get into that space and I think and really do any real good, Jay, I'm going to have to check my ego at the door. I'm going to have to unpack my ego and leave it out in the hallway because if I come in and I get my, you know, my underwear in a bunch because you start telling me I'm a physio and I don't know how to prevent injuries. Well, I, you know, I'm a physio and I, okay, I'm not going to be able to help because my ego's in the way. Same with the strength coach. Strength coach, you don't know about keeping people from getting injured. Well, I, I, you know, all of a sudden, gee whiz, now the physios can't talk to the strength coaches, the applied sports scientists. You put them in the mix and they're looking at us like we're a couple of wild heathens arguing with each other. They can't help us. And the PhDs won't even come close to it because they're like, well, you guys get that stuff straightened out before you bring me any data to help you kind of figure out how that all fits. And so for me, I think there's a huge frontier. We started this discussion about the integration of PT. Uh, there's a huge frontier left over there. And I'm really excited to see how data and applied sports science and the physio space and the strength conditions can kind of move into that zone and really work really well together to unpack this because there's so much opportunity left, not only for injury prevention, but yeah, potentially also for the speed development. Yeah, that's some absolutely fantastic points. And I think looking back through what we just talked about, understanding that there is gray area and a lot of stuff we don't know, and we have to continue to learn and we need to continue to look outside of our own realm for help in these situations, not so much to find the answers, but to get help from people yeah. that know. You've got to bring data in, and if you're going to bring data in, you've got to use it. You, at some point, it doesn't have to yeah. be, if you take a number on Tuesday, you've got to implement something Wednesday. Yeah. Even if it takes 10 years, you've got to be able to use this stuff to make things better. Yeah. You've got to remember that they're athletes. They're not, you know, Craig and Betty at the local, you know, shopping plaza walking around. <laughs> what makes them different might be what makes them really good. 
And when you start changing things, you can ruin things. And and, and last but not least, man, you got to work as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And Jay, I tell you what, you know this, and and I hear all the the people on your podcast tell it too, and and I'm, I'm humbled to be on that, believe it or not. Those guys are and gals that have been on this podcast. I've learned so much from listening to, to them. And it's something I hear and may not say it as, as brutally as I say it. But look, guys, we, we can't be we, – we, we, there's genius in everybody, right? I mean you have a genius. You're not a physio. So strength coaches, stop trying to be physios, okay? You're not helping the athlete when you try to become a physio. Physios, listen to me. Stop trying to be strength coaches. You're, okay? You learn from strength coaches. Learn and invite some of that into your practice. But stay in your lane. You know what I mean? Do what you do great. Be the genius in your lane. And I think if we can all kind of come back to that where it's not this, I'm going to give you a bunch of tools as a strength coach so you can pretend to be part physio in your role – Man, come on, man. I, I, I shouldn't, that shouldn't be the way this works. We're going to learn from each other. But you be the best at what you do, strength coach. I'm going to be the best at what I do, physio. And we're going to get in a room, and we're going to figure out how to mesh those two things together. And I'm not going to try to be you, and you're not going to try to be me. We're all going to be on this. Remember the old concept of the sports medicine team or the sports performance team? Okay, we all have roles to play, right? Be the best version of yourself in your role today. And then when we come together, now all of a sudden we've got some. It's just like that the quarterback trying to throw a pass to himself in the end zone to win the game. I mean, let's stop trying to do that, okay? And I think that's a frustration of mine is that potentially we're strength coaches, we're trying to be physios, and physios, we're trying to be part strength coach. And be you. Be the best version of you for that team and for that athlete. And ultimately, I think we do best by our athletes when we stay in our lane, be the best version of ourselves in our lane coordinate together and I think then we give our be- our best to the athlete for them to realize their full potential. And I think that's that's probably where I sit after 25 years of screwing this up. Um and I screwed it up yesterday and I'll probably screw up today. Um so I don't I'm not sitting up here like I'm telling everybody what to do. Man, I screw up more than all of you people listening. Every one of you. And I screwed up yesterday, I'll screw up today, but my athlete deserves me to be the best version of myself tomorrow for them. And so the mistakes I made today, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to correct them with my staff. We're going to figure out how to be better because that that athlete that just walked out, when they come back, I got to be better for them tomorrow because that's what I'm asking them to be, right? And I I think that goes a long way to what you're talking about. 100%. Lance, that is an absolutely fantastic spot to leave it on, man. I can't thank you enough for this. This this is killer. People are going to love this. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate the opportunity, man. Yeah, man. We'll, We'll be in touch real soon. All right, buddy? Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. And a huge thank you to Michael Johnson Performances, Lance Walker, for spending some time with us today and talk training. Guys, absolutely killer, right? I mean, a guy who's who's seen both ends of the spectrum as a strength conditioning coach at the collegiate level and now in the in the private sector who went back, got his PT license, and is, is working as a physio, kind of going back and forth running the program there. Some really awesome points, some really awesome information, you know, talking about collecting data, which is obviously something that's really big and sexy now. Can you do it just kind of as a flyby? Can you do it in training? Does it have to be a completely different touch to the athlete or something completely different that they have to do? They can end up being you know, distracting and borderline a pain. And then holding on to that data and, and doing stuff with it, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now. You know, Just that in and of itself is just absolutely priceless information. So I can't thank Lance enough 
for spending the time with us. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Anything, guys. Anything we put out there, go ahead and share it. You know, the, the new My Thoughts Monday, what we're doing with the Drew Review on Thursday, the presenter introductions we're doing Wednesday for the seminar. We're going to start doing some Flashback Friday stuff. And, of course, everything you guys hear here on the podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do on iTunes or Podomatic and on YouTube as well because if you want to watch it when you're sitting at your desk, that's an easy way to get all the information as well. Guys, can't thank you enough for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.